weeks, as we've been talking about, where we are, we're talking about resolutions. And like we said last week as we kicked this off, resolutions at their core are really kind of a hybrid of being and becoming statements. And the reason that this is true is because when you and I make resolutions, when it comes to making resolutions, we have to take into account where we are at any given moment. So, so part of understanding my being, which is who I am, comes from me being able to do an honest assessment, like it or not, as my life, you know, of my life as it exists and functions and operates right now in this moment, right? And typically when we start these, these resolutions at the beginning of a new year, we're starting these resolutions because there's something about the way our lives function and operate in this moment right now that we don't like, right, that we want to change. It's a pattern, whatever. We want to change it, whether it's getting healthy, whether it's getting in shape, whether it's losing weight, whether it's, it's rearranging our priorities, whatever it is, we want to make some changes, right? And so from that place of understanding our being, who we are, we're able to then kind of put together a roadmap of becoming who we want to be, right? And, and doing what it takes to, to, to get there, right? That's kind of how we approach these resolutions. But as we talk about resolutions here throughout this series, we're going to talk about resolutions from a couple of different angles. And this is just one. Like, this is one angle. This is kind of the, 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 the typical angle. When we think about resolutions, that's what we think about. We think about the, the, the promises that we make to ourselves in January that we break uh, in February. That's just how they work, right? We talked about last week the fact that there's an 80 to 85% failure rate when it comes to our resolutions in February. So we don't, some of us, we don't even make it a month or we make it just over a month before we just bail, right? So that's one angle. When it comes to resolutions. The other angle that we're using to kind of play on this whole concept of resolution comes from the sixth definition of the word resolution. So there's your fast fact for the day. If you open the dictionary, the word resolution has six different definitions. And the sixth one is this. It's the conversion of something abstract into something concrete and clear. So when you have, when you, when you increase resolution, the more you increase resolution, the more you increase clarity. Right? It becomes more and more clear. And again, I said last week, like, when you have a high-resolution television or you're looking at a high-resolution image or movie, right? when the resolution is high, there's quality, there's clarity, there's depth, there's detail. I remember showing my kids for the first time what, what the original Nintendo looked like, like on a TV. And they were like, you, you could play this? Like, you, how do you even know what you are? How do you even know who you are? Like, how do, like you could play, like, I can't believe it looks like, I can't believe you suffered like this, right? But it is, it's like when you see something, when something has high resolution, you're seeing it in the way that it's kind of meant and intended to be seen. So this is a great example, the, the picture that we've got, we'll throw it up here, one, two, three, there it goes. So this is like a, it's a mountain scene, and it's beautiful, but low resolution, you can barely make out what it is. Right? You, you, you kind of know, yeah, that's probably mountains and trees and a lake, but, but that's low resolution. So I'm doing my best to kind of see it and see what it is and maybe see what it's supposed to be. But then when you look at the high resolution photo, you can see there's depth, there's clarity, there's quality. The person that took this picture, right, the way that that image is intended to be seen, it's as if you're standing right there. And you get that kind of clarity. You get that kind of depth and quality, you see things as they are intended to be seen when you have high resolution, right? It, it is. It's the closest to the real thing you can get without actually being there. And all of this kind of comes together in kind of the, the, the main questions that we're pursuing throughout the series. And those are these. If you got your phones out, take a picture of the screen, right? That's how we take notes here. Uh, take a picture of the screen because this is the kind of stuff that we want to remember. So these are the main questions that we hope to kind of answer 
as we go through this series over the next month and a half, right? It's this, what would happen if instead of making the typical resolutions that we always make and bail on by February, what if we took a different approach that led us to a place of real quality, depth, clarity, and detail when it comes to the purpose in our lives? Like, what, what is the purpose? What's the point of our lives? What are we here to do? Like, why, why, do, why do our lives matter? Because I know for a lot of us, and I've been here too, even in ministry, you know, there's a, there's a thing, like, every day feels exactly the same sometimes, right? And you're trying to figure out, where's your, where's your purpose? I feel like I'm just stuck in the same routine and cycle that I cannot get out of, right? So that's the first question. What if there was a different way to approach these resolutions? Could it be possible, here's the second one, could it be possible for our lives to look and function like the real thing? And that they were, like they were intended to be, right, on this side of heaven. Like when, when God created life, when Jesus spoke us into existence, right, when the Holy Spirit made it all, you know, filled us with life, there was an intent, right? God has an idea of what life is supposed to look like. He has a desire for us. We call it the with God life here at Adventure. But there's a desire for us. He wants us to live in a certain way. So, so could, could we do this? Could it be possible for our lives to look and function like the real thing? And as they were intended to be on this side of heaven, can that happen? The answer is yes. Well, then how? We talked about this last week, through disciplines. Well, what are those? Let's, let's look at this. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 28. This is Jesus talking to us, sharing with us how our lives can find real purpose. Right? Even in the things that we do, it doesn't mean we have to abandon all things in order to find purpose. Right? Our lives, we can find the kind of purpose that Jesus wants us to have even in our jobs, even as parents, even as students in school. There's, there's an additional purpose right, to Jesus' kingdom that overrides all purposes. But yet we can find that purpose in the things that we do every day. Right? Jesus is talking about that. He's talking about the disciplines, the things that, that we need in order to be able to do the things that he did to live life as it's intended to be lived. Here's what it says, starting in verse 28. Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Also, so, uh, a.k.a. all of us who are just, we're stuck. We feel stuck in, in the same patterns of life that we've always been in. Like, this thing isn't going to change. If that's you, Jesus says, if you're feeling burdened, if you're weary, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Well, How? Jesus says, take my yoke, take my disciplines, take, take my discipline upon you and learn from me. And this, this phrase in, in the original language means this, be my disciple. Be someone who is, be my learner, be my trainee, someone who is disciplined, someone who learns and is trained by Jesus through disciplines. And we talked about what disciplines are last week. What are disciplines? Disciplines are the training activities that you and I can do within our own power that enable us to do the things that we otherwise could not do by just trying through our own effort, right? That's what, that's what disciplines are. Disciplines are things that we can do that enable us to do things that we otherwise could not do just by trying harder. Jesus knows that. He says, listen, you're stuck. I can see you're stuck in the same pattern, the same routine. I can see you're searching for purpose. I, think, I can see the fact that, that your life, you're wondering, is this all there is? This all there is? Is this it? Is this kind of what we do? Jesus says, no, that's not. There's more. There's so much more that I want for you. Well, how do you get there? Through disciplines. What are disciplines? Doing the things that you can do to be able to, to live the kind of life that otherwise you, you, you couldn't live. And then Jesus says this, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke, my disciplines. The discipline that I want to teach you. 
is easy and my burden is light, which again, I love this. It means it fits you. It's made for you. Jesus says that it's in his disciplines that we discover the life that's intended for us, right? The life that he wants us to live. And so just to kind of unpack this real fast, disciples are simply this. They are learners, they are trainees, they are apprentices. That's what a disciple is. We don't use the word disciple in 2024 much. We use words like learners, trainees, and apprentices, right? That's what a disciple is. And disciples are disciplined, which means they are taught and trained and equipped through disciplines. The training activities we can do that will enable us to do the things that we otherwise could not do. And so according to Jesus, being and becoming his disciples who are disciplined by him through his disciplines, that's where we find real quality and depth and clarity when it comes to the purpose of our lives, right? That's the process. It's through disciplines, according to Jesus, that's the process by which and through which our lives begin to function as they were intended to from his perspective, And he's the author and creator of life. So like really and truly, you can read all the self-help books you want. Jesus' perspective is the only one that really matters. Because life was his idea. He thought it up. God the Father, right, the architect, Jesus, the foreman, the builder, and the Holy Spirit, the one that brings life. Like they thought it up. It was their idea. So their perspective on life and how it is intended to live, that's the only one that really matters. But why disciplines? Why, why did Jesus line these things out? Why is it disciplines? Why is it something? Why can't I just snap my fingers or like at the moment that we're baptized or we say yes to Jesus that all this stuff gets downloaded into us and it's like we got it. We got it figured out. That would be a whole lot easier. Here's why. Jesus knows it's because disciplines and discipleship, those are the things that shape our identity, not just our activity. See, being and becoming disciples who are disciplined through the disciplines of Jesus That's what brings about spiritual and emotional and mental and physical transformation, not just behavior modification. And as we said last week, as we look through the Gospels, Jesus' stories, those biographies, we see that Jesus had five main disciplines that he used to discipline his disciples, right, to teach and train his trainees and apprentices. And here they are. They are prayer, obedience, he was word-centered, exaltation, which is a fancy word for worship, and relational intentionality. And when you look at this, it's an acronym. That acronym is power. So Jesus, what he desires for us is to live the same kind of powerful, powerfully in, like in, influence life that, that he did. And he says, like, you can do this. He tells us in John 14, you're going to go on and do greater things than you've seen me do. You can have a greater impact and influence than even I've had on this world. How? By living the way that I lived. By adopting the same disciplines that, that, I, that I've modeled for you. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. Here's what it says. Flip over in your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says this, Jesus, now Jesus was, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished praying, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his trainees, right, one of his apprentices, said to him, Lord, teach us. Which now when you see the word teach, right, in in the Bible, you know what that means. It means discipline us. Disciple us. Teach us your disciplines. Teach us. Discipline us to pray like you. We want to be able to pray like you pray. Right, teach us how to pray like you. Just like, like John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who discipled some of these guys and trained some of these guys before they met Jesus. Like John, he, he taught us how to pray like him. Jesus, we want to learn how to pray like you. 
So let's pause here for a second, Luke chapter 11. The fact that that Jesus' disciples are asking him to teach them, to discipline them in the discipline of prayer, the way he does it, what should that tell us? Not a rhetorical question, right? A little, little audience participation. What should that tell us? What's that? Yeah, he, they must have seen him. Like, they, like it should tell us the fact that they're going, hey, Jesus, we want to learn how to pray like you. Right? And Luke even tells us that Jesus had just finished praying, and the first question that his disciples ask him is what? Teach us how to pray, which means they must have seen him. They must have heard him pray. Right? They must have seen him do this. They must have seen it or heard it enough. And, and the way that Jesus was praying must have been so different or unique enough that, that they wanted to be discipled in the discipline of prayer by Jesus so that they could also pray like Jesus. And they must have heard it enough. They must have watched him. And there must have been something about what, the way that Jesus prayed that they're like, man, that, we want to be able to do that. And so after he finishes praying, they ask him, will you, will you teach us how to do that? Will you teach us to pray like you pray? And we learn from the Gospels that Jesus prayed a lot. Luke 5, 16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like we see Jesus spending time. If you read through his biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what you'll find. Jesus spends time praying before every major event in his life. Before every major event in Jesus' life or his ministry, right? Here's an example. Jesus, he prays in the desert, right? Right after his baptism, the Spirit leaves him out, leads him out into the desert where he faces temptation, right? Just before he officially begins his ministry. And in that 40 days, Jesus fasted and prayed. Right after his baptism, right before, when Jesus comes back from that wilderness experience, he will officially begin his ministry. So right before Jesus officially starts his public ministry, he prays. Jesus prayed the night before he chose his disciples. I mean, there were a lot of people that were following Jesus. I mean, Jesus had hundreds, sometimes even thousands of followers. But from that large group of followers, Jesus chose 12 disciples. That's not something you want to mess up, right? I'm going to choose 12 to kind of be on this ministry team. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm from this large group of followers. I'm going to choose 12 that are going to go on and take this ministry that we're starting, that this multiplication movement of disciple making. I'm going to pick 12 that are, that are going to do this in the face of overwhelming odds. After I'm gone, they're going to carry it on. You want to make sure you're picking the right 12. So what does Jesus do? He spends the entire night before he chooses 12 disciples. He spends that entire night praying. He goes up on a hillside. Jesus goes up on a hillside and prays. After he gets word that his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, who discipled some of these guys before, John the Baptist, after he hears that he was executed, John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod. Jesus gets news not only that his cousin, his family member, but his friend and a guy that, that really paved the way for, for Jesus' ministry, the kind of fullback, right, the, the lead blocker for Jesus' ministry before it started was John the Baptist. And he hears that his friend, his cousin, his family member, the, the person, his ministry partner had died. And like many of us, when we lose people, Jesus felt grief. And he goes up on a hillside and he prays. And right after that, he walks on water which I think is pretty cool. Like he sees his disciples, most of which were teenagers, out in the middle of the lake, struggling. He can hear them struggling from the top of the hillside where he's praying. It was like, you know, like just like a, like a, a palate cleanser. I'm going to go walk on the water and freak these guys out. It's going to be really funny. In John 17, 
The entire chapter of John 17 is something that's kind of commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer. The entire chapter of John 17 is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's betrayed, arrested, and sentenced to death and executed. Right before Jesus goes to face the cross, what does he do? He prays. Who does he pray for? Us. It's wild. When you read it and you realize that Jesus, 2,000 plus years ago, is praying for us, it's It's crazy. But that's what he does. Big moment in his life, getting ready to be betrayed, arrested, and executed. What's he do? He spends his night in prayer. Jesus prayed on the cross as he was dying, called out to his father. And what we can, what we can note from, from reading Jesus' biographies, the Gospels, Jesus prayed. Jesus had a good handle on the discipline of prayer, and his disciples, his apprentices, his trainees, want to be disciplined to pray like he does. Now, before we go through how Jesus taught his disciples and how he wants to teach us how to pray, I listened to my friend, my pastor, my mentor, a guy named Jim Bergen, who's at a church out in Colorado. I listened to him preach on this a while back, and he did something as he was preaching to his congregation about this, and I think it's something that I want us to do as well. We need to talk about and acknowledge the fact that that when I said we're going to talk about prayer, we all heard the same word, right? We all heard the word prayer. Same word. We all heard it. But many of us, when we heard the word prayer, we thought very different things. Right? So we just kind of need to acknowledge, like, who's in the room. Right? Some of us, just keep it real, let's be honest. Some of us, in our own minds, and maybe even in the minds of others, but most likely in our own minds, we're really spiritual people. Right? We're very spiritual. We're very holy. Right? We we consider ourselves to be kind of in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing. We would consider ourselves kind of aware of the things that are supernatural and spiritual. And here's how you can pick us out. You want to know how you can pick us out in church? We don't hide. And I say we because I'm one of you. Right? Here's how you can find us. We hum. Right? You're like, what? Somebody will say something. Like pastor, worship leader, Matt, me. Somebody will say something like we feel and we resonate and we just can't help it. We go, mmm. Mm, mm. You, we hum. Just like when you hear that around us, you know who's behind you. We answer, we answer rhetorical questions from the preacher out loud, right? Because in our minds, Sunday morning is just a conversation between us and the preacher that just like, maybe a couple hundred other people just get to listen into, right? But it's just me, it's just us, right? Rhetorical question, I got the answer. Right? That's who we are. Like you'll find us, you can find us easy in worship. Like when the band gets rolling, you see that hand. Start to creep up. Like, we can't help it, right? It's like the force. Like, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit comes in, and, and that hand starts to go. And sometimes it's what we do. Like, we don't want to be too spiritual, so we do what I call the reflux, which is this one. You know, you got one hand on your heart and one hand up. It's like, that's the reflux. But if the band, like, if they play, like, a song that's like, we really, it's touchdown Jesus. Both hands up. Like, both hands up, we get into it. And here's what I'm saying. Like, don't stop. Don't stop doing that, right? Don't stop. We need that. We need worshipers in the room that are unafraid and unashamed to get into it when it comes to worship, right? We're going to talk about worship here in a couple weeks, and I just know right now we're going to have to clear out this front section and make it into a mosh pit because those of us that are spiritual in the room, it's like, that's where I want to be. Full contact worship. Let's go, right? But you heard me talk about prayer, and the first thing you thought was, yes, It's about time we talked about prayer, like hashtag slay and pray all day, right? That's who we are. Others of us in the room were more logical. We tend to take a more logical or rational approach. If someone talks about the discipline of prayer, we think, well, prayer is a good thing. Prayer is a good thing. It's something that we should do. Like I've been taught from a little kid in Sunday school, like we were taught and told like how to pray and that we should pray. 
And so in our heads and in our hearts, we agree. Prayer's a good thing. When you heard me say that we're going to talk about prayer, you went, that's good. That's good. Very good. We should learn how to pray. Yes, we should learn how to pray more. I agree. Let's do it. Some of us in the room, we're just trying to hang on as tight as we can. Like, we're trying to pray the whole time, and we're thinking somewhere in the back of my mind, like, is anybody there? Is anybody there? Is anybody listening? Like, we're praying, and we're thinking, am I, am I doing this right? Because it kind of feels sometimes like I'm talking to myself. Like, maybe, maybe you hear me talk about prayer, and you go, maybe well, this will help me figure out how to do it. Or, or this will, Brad will be able to tell me, or somebody will tell me if prayer even works at all. Some of us in the room, we're, we're just begging God to do something. You hear me talk about prayer, and it's like, oh, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm begging God right now to fix something in my life. I've got something or someone in my life that I need God to fix. And our prayers kind of sound like this. God, if you do this, I promise I'll do this. God, if you fix them, if you fix them, I promise I'll, I'll show up at church every Sunday. God, if, if you change this, if you, if, you, if, if, if you give me that promotion, I'll read my Bible. I promise. I promise. For some of us, prayer is a last-ditch effort. And others of us, when we hear about prayer, here we're talking about prayer, you got angry. Because your prayers sound like this. God, if you don't get it together, I'm out. God, if you can't get your stuff together, I'm going to leave. We're done. Some of us in the room, when we hear things like, Father in heaven. Father, to us, is a bad word. Because it just reminds us of the person that bailed on us. It reminds us of the person that abused us. It reminds us, reminds us of the person that abandoned us. It reminds us of the person that was never available for us. So prayer, the idea of prayer, makes us angry because now I've got to talk to somebody who's just like my dad. And I say all of this to recognize that, that we can, that we probably do approach, all of us in this room, we probably approach prayer from a different angle than the person sitting next to us or the person in front of us or behind us. And let me just tell you this, that's okay. Whether it's like, I mean, you just cannot wait to get home and like light a candle and put on some elevation worship and just get on your knees and pray. Like, you can't wait. It's like, man, I'm going to put on oceans, right? Spirit, lead me where your trust is without borders. Let's go. Like, some of us, it's like, we can't wait. Man, we're there. We got this place in our room. We got this room in our house. It's our prayer room. Right? That's some of us. Or maybe you're somewhere on the other end of, this, uh, other end of that, that spectrum. Like, I, I don't even know if anybody's listening. It's okay to approach prayer from different angles. You are where you are. I am where I am. Church, you are a disciple as you are a disciple. When you begin that discipleship journey, you begin where you are. And Jesus, throughout his disciplines, meets disciples wherever they are. But here's the cool thing. He never leaves us there. We talk about that every week. We say, come and become Come as you are. Become all that God desires you to be. Come just with all, just with all your preconceived notions, with all your insecurities, fears and failures, all those doubts. Jesus will meet you there. Where you are is where you are. Jesus is totally great with that. But he won't leave you there. He'll invite you into this discipleship and discipline journey. So let's look. Let's look at how Jesus teaches the discipline 
of prayer to his disciples, right? Let's look at Luke 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. Here's what it says. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say this, Father. Talked about that. For some of us, it's like, nope, you already lost me. But here's the cool thing about this. When Jesus says Father, it's Jesus' own unique way of addressing God. And those of us in the room that have kids that are parents, we know nobody says mom or dad. Nobody yells out mom or dad like our own kids, right? Our kids can be in a crowded place, and they're yelling mom or dad, and you can pick out their voice in a crowd. You know, because you know what it sounds like. It's unique. Nobody says mom or dad like your kids do. But, But notice this. Jesus invites us to do the same with God. And God being... Not the reflection of our fathers, but the perfection of our fathers. He knows what your voice sounds like. And he can pick it out in a crowd. And we'll circle back to this here in a second, right? But but the fact that Jesus even would have begun a prayer by addressing God as Father would have blown people's minds. And again, we'll talk about why here in a second, but let's keep moving. So he says, Father, hallowed or hallowed if you want to be really fancy, right? Which means this, holy, unlike anything or anyone else. Father, you are unlike anything or anyone else. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, which means this, your ways, what your kingdom looks like, how your kingdom operates, right? Those kinds of things. Like, we want that to happen here. Your kingdom come. Not mine, not my ways, not not our nation, not any other nation, but your ways, God. Your kingdom come here. We want that to happen here. Give Give us this day our daily bread. Supply us what we need for this day, and then do it again tomorrow. And then Jesus says, forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves need to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And just so you know, this like forgiveness in, in Scripture, like in this day, right, people would have understood that as kind of financial terminology. Like we think of forgiveness more through like the emotional lens. Like I need to forgive someone or I need to say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. When Jesus talked about forgiveness, it was financial, which, mean, which meant this, to forgive someone back in his day, meant this, you don't owe me anymore. Like your debt's canceled. You don't owe me anything, there's no interest. I'm not holding anything over you that you need to try to pay back in some way, shape, or form. So Jesus says this, we pray to God to cancel our debts. Cancel the debts that we owe to him because of sin. And as we cancel those debts, or as he cancels those debts to us, may we be like him and cancel the debts that others may owe us. Cancel my debt to you, God, so I can cancel other people's debts to me. And then Jesus, he closes by saying, and lead us not into temptation. And I thought this was interesting. Because God's not going to do that. Like, like God's not going to lead us, like, intentionally into something that would tempt us. Right? The Spirit's going to lead us away from those kinds of things. The Spirit's going to encourage us to, to move away from the things that tempt us and closer to the relationship with God. So, so what's Jesus getting at here? And again, this is one of those moments that, that what we read and how the Bible says this, how we've translated this and what the Bible is saying, you've, you've got to get some clarity here. You've got to do some contextualization. And here's what it means. Like I read a commentary that said that, that when we talk about temptation in this moment, what Jesus is talking about is literally like testing. The commentary said that, that a test was, was a trial of someone's fidelity, their integrity, and their virtue. In this case, it was an enticement to sin. 
And so you have to kind of read this as they would have meant it, as they would have understood it, which is this, God, when I face trials, because I will, do not let me fall away. When I face the things that want to pull me away from you, when my life hits a wall, when things fall apart, God, hang on tight to me. Do not let me fall away. I think that when you read it that way, it takes on a completely different meaning. It's not that we're not, we're not begging God to, hey, God, please don't test me today. Because something is going to test us. Because of the nature of our world, the broken nature of our world, we, we are going to run into tests. It's like my, my, my friend used to always say, life is a series of storms. You're either in one, coming out of one, or getting ready to go in one. And it's in those moments, lead us not into temptation. God, when the storms of life, when the storms hit my life, please hold on tight. And Matthew, he, he gives us a different kind of spin on this. It says in Matthew 6, chapter 6, starting verse 9, it says this then, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And again, when I listened to my friend Jim teach on this, he said when it comes to the mechanics of how to pray, Jesus taught that prayer begins with acknowledging who you're talking to. Father in heaven, who is unlike anything or anyone else. And then from that place, we then set the agenda for what follows in the conversation. So if you're wondering how to pray, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. First, start with acknowledging who you're talking to. Father in heaven, who is unlike anything or anyone. Then set the agenda. Here's what's going to follow in this conversation. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Which again, as we're setting the agenda, here's what we have to understand. It's his agenda, not ours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jim went on to say, if we just look at the mechanics of prayer the way Jesus taught it, it would have sounded something like this. Heavenly Father, I want to hear from you about what you're up to. And what you want to do in my life or in the life of someone else through me so that, that my life and the lives of those connected to me line up with, with what you say is good, true, and best. And with what you've done and are doing in the spiritual realm and in our world. That's how Jesus would have prayed. That's how Jesus would have taught the mechanics of prayer. That's what it would have sounded like. And I think here's the deal. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it for us to just kind of look at prayer from, from a general how-to perspective but if that's all we taught, if all we taught were the mechanics of, mechanics of prayer, and here's how you pray, here's how you go home, just say it like this. If that's where we stopped, all we would do is just be, we'd be teaching behavior modification. Just teaching the mechanics of how to pray like Jesus and taking an outside-in approach, here's what we know. If all we, have, if all we try to do, if you leave here today, and the only thing you try to do is go home and try your hardest through your own effort to pray the same way that Jesus prayed, it's behavior modification, it's an outside-in approach, and there's an 80 to 85% chance that it will fail. You'll do it for a couple, couple days, a couple weeks. Then you'll get distracted, something else will happen, and, and you'll find, well, I didn't pray today, but I, I'm okay. Well, I didn't pray today or yesterday or today, but I'm all right. I got other stuff going on. I mean, I, I got an email after return. I got a text. My boss is calling me. 
will fail. So here's the one piece that I kind of want to drill into and, and hone in on. And that's how Jesus begins his prayer. And again, I know for some of us, when we talk about father, it's a bad word, but we're going to go there. Because we got to get this figured out. Because like I said, God is not the reflection of our fathers. He's the perfection of our fathers. So imagine your dad exactly as you want him to be. Or as you wished he would be or hoped he would be. God is that and more. But Jesus, he says, that when we, when we address and we approach God, we call him Father. And that would have been unheard of. When, when, when God was addressed in Jesus' day, he was addressed by a priest in a temple. It was ceremonial. There were like specific instructions on, on what to say and also how to say it. And you better not do something wrong or something bad might happen. Literally, the, the, whoever the high priest was, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the, the presence of God lived, they would tie a rope to his ankle. So if he did something wrong in there or things went sideways and he died, they could pull him out. So you better approach God in the right way. Or something bad might happen. But for Jesus, in his discipline of prayer, he disciplines his disciples to approach God wherever they are, however they are, and address him uniquely as they are by calling him Father. Same way your kids do for you, and you know their voice. And you can see now like how, how disciplines shape more than just our behavior. They shape our identity. All of the mechanics of how to pray comes out of, of who we are first. Like for Jesus, all of, if you want to know how to pray, start with who you are. Like all of the doing comes out of our being because to address God as father means you have to recognize that you're his child. D Jesus didn't just want to teach us to pray like him. He wanted to teach us to pray from the place of being like him. He wanted us to be like him. For Jesus, prayer begins with our identity as God's kids. Like him. And prior to this, right, prior to this moment, like this wasn't really on the table, right? Jesus, Jesus is the only reason that you and I can approach God as if he is Father. So as we start to kind of land the plane and wrap things up today, what I want us to focus in on is how we approach and address God. Because it's, that's an identity question. That's an identity exercise, not just an activity exercise. By figuring out the way we approach and address God, that's what brings about transformation, not just modification. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, wrote a book that's called Prayer. And I would encourage everyone to read it. It's fantastic. And he says this, that, that prayer begins, Tim Keller argues, and what he kind of points out is that prayer begins with how we approach God. And he kind of outlines three different approaches. The first approach is irreligious which I don't know if that's a word, like irregardless is not a word. People, please, when I hear people say that, I want to throw something at them. Stop it. It's not a word. Irreligious in this case is, right? Get over it, right? Irreligious, this approach to God just avoids God altogether, right? God's voice and his truth have no authority in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You either believe that there is no God or if there is a God, he's not available or interested or capable of helping you. And if all that's true, there's no point in praying or approaching God at all. That's the first approach. The first approach is no approach. The second approach is religious, right? We approach God through religion, right? What we do is we present to God, we, we present to him the, the evidence of our lives, and we expect him to kind of owe something in return. 
Like we come to God in prayer. God, here are all the good things I've done this week. Here are all the boxes that I've checked off. Here's all the people that I've helped. God, you know me. I'm, I'm at, at the very least, I'm better than Bob in accounting, right? Or the person who shares the key. I'm better than them. I'm better than my neighbor. She's crazy. Her kids are nuts. God, you know me. God, I, God, I've worked for you this week. Now I need you to work for me. And really what your prayer sounds like is this. My employee in heaven, your kingdom come, my will be done. It's more about obeying God so that he'll do things for you. And here's something that I, that I read that I think is, to me at least this week, it kind of shook me a little bit. It's this. It's a religious approach to God will land us in one of two places. When things don't work out like we expect or how we believe they will, right? The one is this, is, is that there must be something wrong with me. So if I've prayed and I've done all this work, there must be something wrong with me if God's not responding, right? So that's the first place. So I must be broken. God must not care about me, right? I must not be doing it right. So i got to go back and fix some things so God will do the things that I want, right? That's the first place that that will land us. The second place is there must be something wrong with God because I'm doing it all perfect and he's still not listening. That's the second approach. The religious approach will land you in one of two places. You'll either be on the front or the back side of that. It's either something's wrong with you or something's wrong with God. But then the third approach that, that Keller talks about is this, the gospel. He says this, the gospel is pure and simply the message of good news that even though I was bad enough, sinful enough, that Jesus had to die for me, Jesus also loved me so much that he was glad to die for me and offer me grace and acceptance as a free gift. That's the gospel. See, gospel prayer begins with acknowledging who we are and who God is. God, I am broken and sinful, and you are perfect. Keller says to pray is to accept the fact that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything, and that he will always be dependable when it comes to everything we need. That's who we are. But here's the other thing that I like as we, as we close today. I like the fact that the gospel also answers our biggest questions about God. Right? It answers the question, who's God? Who is God? Well, he's the unlike anything or anyone ruler in our universe. Hallowed be your name. Well, what's God like? Well, he's like a father that loves me, right? Father in heaven. How do you know that he loves you? Well, Jesus, right, he forgives all of my debt and then makes it possible for me to forgive all of the debts that people owe me. What does God want from you? Nothing. Nothing. What does God want for you? To trust him. Right, give me what I need for today, God, and then do it again tomorrow. Give me my daily bread today, and then give me my daily bread tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Well, why does he want this? Because he knows it brings his kingdom in heaven here to earth. Not in what we do, but in who we are. That's what God wants for us. God wants for us, the church, to be the place where heaven and earth meet. And so my question is this. Would that change how you pray? Would that change the way that you pray? Jim said it like this in his sermon. He said, what, what changes the power of prayer in our lives is not our character or our integrity, but it's our understanding of God's character and integrity. That brings change to how we pray. And I know some of us in this moment are thinking, yeah, that sounds nice, but like, what about the times when I pray and God doesn't give me what I want? 
Well, this happens when we lose sight of who God is. Like that's when the power of prayer starts to break down. It's not the fact that God's not giving you exactly what you want. It's because you've begun to lose sight of who God is. Because instead of trusting God with your reality, with your burdens, with our situations and circumstances, instead of doing that, we would rather give God advice on how we think he should fix things. But when we pray from a place through the power and presence of the gospel and the Holy Spirit active in our lives, change doesn't happen through our effort to fix our own problems or, or as we try to convince God to fix it how we want it to be fixed. No change happens, right? Like this, this change happens ultimately from the overflow of the gospel. And I love how Keller, Keller says this. When we pray from the power of the gospel, we have to trust that God will either give us what we ask or that he would give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. Sometimes the thing that God needs to say to us is no. Because if he gave that to us, it would destroy us. Sometimes the best answer, and you know this if you've got kids, sometimes the best answer is no. And God answers prayer in, in three different ways. Yes, no, and not yet. But again, when we come to that place, we pray. We have to pray from the power of the gospel. And we trust that God hears that. He hears our unique voice in the same way that we hear our kids' voices. And that he will give us everything that we, what we ask for. Or he would give us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. We trust him. So we started this challenge last week. The band's going to come up. We're going to worship here in just a second. We're going to do a little different today. We started a challenge last week. This is the, the, the high-resolution challenge. And so if you got your phone and you want to scan this QR code, if you get, didn't get a chance to join, that's okay. You can still catch up. But we're going to be doing some practical things with these resolutions as we go forward. Last week was a habit audit. We kind of audited the habits and things that we do, our rhythm, rhythms and routine. This week coming up is a habit swap, and prayer is going to be a big part of that. But if you want to join this challenge, this, this will help you begin to activate this. And here's the thing, you won't be doing it alone. Right? There's about 50 or so people in this group right now, and there's room for more. Right? We're doing this together. But today, what I want us to do is try, to, try a different approach to prayer. Not from the, the place of, of giving God a list of things that we need him to check off or thing, a list of things we need him to fix in our lives, but, but rather we want to come to this place of just acknowledging who he is and who we are, that we are broken, we are sinful, we do not deserve his grace or mercy, but he gives it to us. Why? Because he loves us. So a few years ago, I got the chance to, to kind of sit and listen to a teaching on adoration and proclamation prayer from a guy that I've known for, for, for years and it was cool to hear, one of the things he challenged us to do was to get in groups and, and pray for five minutes without asking God for anything. And we thought, well, sure, we can do that. We're all pastors. We're all professional Christians. We can do that. We got in that circle, and one of us started praying. It was like, oh, we just asked, we just asked for something. We just asked for something. We just asked. And it's not that asking, asking for things from God are bad, but it was, could we pray? Could we change the rhythm of our prayer just to adore and proclaim God's character, his promises, his characteristics. And God's unique in the fact that when you declare God's characteristics, the things that we would use to describe God are actually promises about who he is and what he does. He's unique. You can't do that about us. But you can do that with him. And so today, the band's going to play for just a little bit. We're going to worship together as we wrap up. The band's going to play for a little bit. And you're going to see some, some characteristics and attributes of God on this screen. So scriptures that go along with those. And here's what I want you to do. Where you are with, with, your, with your spouse or your kids or your friend, whoever's with you today, you can pray together. 
And so maybe there's something going on in your life right now, and you need God to step into this. Instead of asking and begging him to step into this moment, what if you just prayed who he was over that moment or over that situation? God, there is an illness in my life, and you are a healer, God. And I love that you heal. And I love you because you heal. That's it. Or maybe there's a family friend or a neighbor or a coworker, someone that you know that's, that's going through something in life. Instead of saying, God, would you just be with that person? He's already there. What if you proclaimed something about him over that person? God, my friend, my brother, whoever, they're battling an addiction. We know that you're a warrior, God, and that you go to war with the evil spirits and the things that want to pull us away from you and destroy us and steal from us and kill us. God, would you be that warrior, God? Just proclaim who God is over that person. And as you're ready, join us in worship. In this time, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I'd love to meet you down front. In this time, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. In this time, if you want to pray here at the foot of the cross, you can do that. But I would just challenge you to pray right where you are. And then when the time comes, let's worship. So I'm not going to pray to close. We are going to pray to close. Ready? Ready?